As Christina said, my name is Lee. I'm uh, one of the youth pastors here with the senior high. If I haven't met you, there's a bunch of new faces here, never seen. If you can't see me, turn your chair around so you, you can see me. I am, I have the privilege of finishing out the book of Acts today. Yes, which I'm kind of sad about. I have like thoroughly enjoyed going through the book of Acts here and lots of different speakers. Thanks to Danny, who spoke a couple Sundays ago, Sterling, who spoke last week, and we've had a lot of great speakers come in. Um, it's been a long time since I was gone for two Sundays, but I was gone for two Sundays. The first one, if you were at summer camp, you knew this, but I got to be the person that officiated my sister's wedding. So there's a picture, should be a picture of it up there. Um, there we go. So yeah, there's my sister and now her husband, Nick, and me in the background. It should amaze you that I can actually dress up. You should be truly amazed. Now, uh, Trust me, I wanted to dress down more, but my wife wouldn't let me. She's like, no, you have to look nice for your sisters right now. I was like, fine. So anyways, that was really fun. That was two Sundays ago. And then I uh, came back for a couple of days, was here for small groups, not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, and then went away to the beach, just needed some time of rest. Um, it's funny, like after having, this is going into my, actually going into my 11th year of ministry here at RBC. And I'm a little tired and a little weary. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Um, so it's good, but ministry will wear you down sometimes. So just needed to get away and, and have some rest, and, and it was good. Rest for me is waking up at 645 to drive and surf every morning. So that's what I did almost every morning was go surf for a couple hours and just be out in the water with me and the Lord. So that's a little bit what's happening. But uh, we're in the last chapter of Acts, Acts 28. If you have your Bible and you want to open up there to Acts 28, Go there. Um, I'll be honest, I, uh, leaders, if you want to go grab some Bibles for people at your tables, I'll, I'll give you a minute to do that because I, f- I was going to print it out and I actually totally forgot. So you're going to have to follow along with me. I don't have them all up on the screen like normal. So Acts chapter 28, look with the person beside you if you don't have a Bible. If you, go to, if you don't know, you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. Why is it new? Because it's newer than the Old Testament. So that's why it's new. So go to the New Testament, Acts chapter 28. I'm getting there too. We're going to finish out. All right. Acts 28, if you can uh, go on your phone if you're not distracted, it's fine. I'm distracted though. I can tell you that much. Okay. Acts 28. Sterling uh, talked about this last week in Acts 27, but Paul has set sail from Caesarea and he got to Crete, uh, but they would have to stay there all winter. And so they wanted, and then they wanted to make it to Rome. But they didn't, they didn't listen to Paul's advice, and they sailed, and they get caught in this violent storm. And they're in this violent storm for 14 days until they finally run aground, and they run aground on the island of Malta. Now, I thought this was pretty cool. If you can go to that slide that has the, of not me marrying my sister anymore, um, and of the goo, the goo. Not marrying my sister, officiating my sister's wedding. You know what I'm saying. You know exactly what I meant. You guys are twisted. Yes, you're twisted. You're twisted people. I, I will pray for you all in your demented minds. Okay. So I know, I know you can barely see this. I thought it would be a little bit more clear. But if you look in the top right, sort of top right corner, it actually says St. Paul's Bay. That's, this is like Google Maps. Took a screenshot of it, island of Malta right now, and they have a bay called St. Paul's Bay. Now, 
I think this is pretty cool to think about. You just think, oh yeah, okay, St. Paul's Bay. But when you think about it, that means that Paul was a 100% real person who they know went to the island of Malta, and now there's even a bay named after him. I think that gives a lot of credibility to God's word. You know, we start back and we go, this is a real historical fact. And if that's a real historical fact, then there's probably a lot of other stuff in the Bible we need to believe too. Now I would say we need to believe all of it. But if you're like a little bit of a skeptic here and you're like, is this whole Bible thing real? I think the fact that there's a bay called St. Paul's Bay gives a lot of credence to God's word. So picking up in uh, Acts chapter 28, I'm going to kind of do what I've done throughout this uh, book and others have done. We sort of walked through it verse by verse. So it says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. Who knows who the we is? Anybody? Who is it? Paul and Luke. It's kind of cool. Luke, who was a physician, not one of the, not an apostle, but ends up following uh, Paul around on his missionary journeys. Luke is actually the author of the book of Acts. And every once in a while you'd be reading and Luke will just add in we in there. And it's kind of cool to know that Luke was an eyewitness to all that was happening and he was recording it for us. So it says we landed, they found out that it was called Malta. And it says the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Now, the people on the island of Malta, um, they, they were non-Jewish people, and they were actually non-Greek people, although they're not that, not that far from Rome at this point. Uh, they're kind of their own sort of tribal people, but they're very hospitable people. And so says they welcomed him, and then it says, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. So it must have been pretty cold there, uh, and a little bit of my study of this said that when it's cold, that a lot of times snakes are a lot more lethargic, they're not moving that much, well, the fire heated up, so it comes out and it fastens itself on Paul's hand, it bites him. This would be a poisonous snake, that's why it's called a viper. So you know, it's really interesting the, throughout the, the life of Paul as we've walked through the book of Acts. One thing you got to remember is uh, Paul is at this point a prisoner. You know, the Jews have uh, tried to get Rome to indict him, but they can't find anything else that's going wrong. And so finally Paul says, hey, I want to I appeal to Rome. So he's trying to make his way, kind of like almost going to the Supreme Court here in the United States. He's trying to get to Rome to make his case there because he wants to be acquitted. Well, it just seems like Paul's life always seemingly goes from bad to worse, right? He's like, hey, we should stay in Crete. And they're like, no, we want to sail. We want to get to Rome because they don't want to stay there the whole winter. They probably lose money. They were probably on a grain ship or some kind of other ship to deliver supplies. So they don't, they don't listen to him. They get shipwrecked. Then he gets shipwrecked and he's like, finally, a nice fire. I'm warm. And then what happens? He gets bit by a viper. I'm like, couldn't someone else get bit by the snake here? It's like, but it's Paul's, that's kind of Paul's life. So this, this snake fastens onto his hand. Then in verse four, it says, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. So the people of Malta, the, uh, they believed in some sort of gods, this, goddess of, this god of justice. And so what they probably thought was the reason that the snake bit Paul was that he had done something in his past that was bad, and now justice was coming to get him. He was getting what was due him. Now, if we look in verse 5, here's what happens. It says, but Paul sh shook the snake off 
into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Um, so this is what it's like in my house. Like I just read this and Paul just seems so chill. Now in my house, if any kind of small insect comes in, this is my wife. Ah! Ah! And she's here today. I was going to do this without her being here. But literally, she, she screams. And I'm like, I literally think like a gorilla is in our house. I truly do. I'm like, there must be a gorilla in our house. So, uh, an intruder must have come in. But no, it's usually like something like that big in our house, right? But Paul just so nonchalantly just kind of shakes the snake off back into the fire and everything is good. Uh, so they, they kind of believe, the people of Malta believe probably in this kind of folklore idea, this idea of these indigenous gods that they have, or maybe they were into some of the Greek mythology that had come over. Whatever it may be, they believe that this God of justice was getting Paul back. Now, throughout the book of Acts, one of the things I've tried to talk to us about, because I wanted you to understand this, because I think it's important to help us as we study God's word, is to know, is something prescriptive or is it guys have been listening. Love that. Try to make things simple for you. Um, Prescriptive is like a prescription. You get written a prescription by a doctor. You go get it. You need to take it. The prescription is what you should do. It's what all of in, in the book of Acts and in the whole Bible, there's some things that are prescriptive, which means that they're for everybody. It's a command for everybody. Something that is descriptive is describing something that is happening at that time, but does not necessarily mean that it is for us to follow or to exactly obey or it will happen to us. So I would say this is descriptive. We shouldn't go around looking for snakes to bite us. So it bites us, we shake it off, and then we're like, look, God's in control. But in Paul's life, what is happening is this miracle. This is a miracle. This is a poisonous snake. It's not like Paul can go down to the ER in Malta and get the serum to be okay. If this snake bites him and it's poisonous and he gets bit, he is dying. That is for sure. And so kind of this idea of, I want to call it the miracle test. And, you know, I think God still does miracles in our lives. And when I say miracles, I'm not saying that you get bit by a snake and something happens or that if your arm falls off, God automatically puts it back on. But God does things that we can't fully understand even in our own lives. He provides in ways that we can't always see. And what I want to call the miracle test is this is when you look to the things that maybe you want God to do in your life, maybe you're like, God, I want to see you do cool things with my life. My question is with that miracle test, or we just call it the faith test, is this, does the miracle point to God? Does it point to God? Because if you look at all throughout the book of Acts, every miracle that Paul did was pointing to God. It was always meant to point to God. It was never meant to point back to him. And even when people tried to put it on Paul, Paul was like, it's not me, it's God. And so for some of you, when you're looking for God to do some cool things in your life, some of you are like, I look at other people and God seems to be doing cool things in your life. My thing to you is, would you just pray and say, Lord, yes, I wanna see you do cool things in my life. But I want you to pray and say, Lord, but I want it to be all about glorifying you. Is it about glorifying you? Does it point back to Jesus? Because all throughout the book of Acts, Paul has always been pointing the miracles back to God. And so clearly, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to these people who have never, most likely, never heard 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was a real man that lived a perfect life, that was 100% God and 100% man, that he came on this earth, lived that life, died on the cross to pay for all of our junk, and rose again. They had never heard that. But let's stop and think about that. If Paul would not have been shipwrecked on the island of Malta and stopped there and run aground, then these people may not have ever heard of the gospel or it would have been a lot longer. And see, that's, what's, I know that's what Sterling talked about last week, and that's what God's been, we're, that the book of Acts has been continuing to show us, is God has this divine plan in our lives that he's always working out. And I'll tell you, throughout, throughout the book of Acts, I've needed to hear this. I've needed to hear that God has this divine plan for my life. Because I think sometimes we're like, well, yeah, God had a plan for Paul's life, but does he really have a plan for mine? Just little old Lee, just me in high school, Does God really have a divine plan for my life? And the answer is absolutely yes. That is prescriptive from the book of Acts, that God has a divine plan for your life. So God does this miracle. It doesn't doesn't affect Paul. And so here's what happens. They go from saying, man, this guy is getting the justice due to him. He must have done something really bad. Then if you look in verse six, it says, the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds, and he said he was a god, right? They go from like, this guy's the worst criminal, he should die, to now they're like, this guy must be a god. I'll tell you one thing about this. People are fickle. You ever heard, who's heard the word fickle before? How many people have heard the word fickle? Okay, most of you. Fickle just means undecided, changing. The opinion of, why do I always spell things wrong? The opinion of man is fickle. Actually, we could say the opinion of the mainstream is fickle, right? Let's just put it that way. People are fickle. And I don't know about you, but I love to make people happy. I love to want people to like me. But you look at Paul. He goes from people hated him to he was a God. And oftentimes, as you're living your faith out as a follower of Jesus, it's going to be like that with people's opinions of you. I mean, sometimes we're like, man, you're so awesome, all the things you do. And then they're like, oh, you said this thing? I don't like you anymore. Oh, you did this? I, that's, that is the up and down of man's opinion. And that's the thing that I see through the life of Paul, though. Paul was always like, who am I here to please? Am I here to please man or am I here to please God? And he's like, I'm here to please God. And so although the opinion of man, Paul could have been sometimes so low because the opinion of man was so low of him, or he could be so high, he could have been like, yeah, you know what? I am kind of a God. I am kind of good. I am kind of awesome. But no, he's always pointing things back to Jesus. Verse 7 says that there was an estate nearby that belonged to Plubius, the chief official of the island. So he's like the chief. He's the main guy of the island. So he has this estate. He said he welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. Now, I'm interested. It doesn't tell us exactly what Paul said. I'm thinking if we look throughout the book of Acts, when they said that Paul was a God, if we go off of everything from the book of Acts, most likely Paul was like, I'm not a God, but let me tell you about the God that I do know. Because that's what Paul always does. So I think most likely he used it as an opportunity to be able to share the gospel, to tell them about Jesus. But this guy, Pluvius, is like, dude, you just got bit by a snake. You didn't die. Come to my house. So he shows him this great hospitality for three days. And then it says, Pluvius, his father, in verse 8, his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. This is not good. Not good. Like, dysentery, not good. Pretty much means you got lots of diarrhea. 
It is not good. And if you got, some of you are smiling. You've never had diarrhea? Come on, we've all had diarrhea. Why are you laughing even more? It's not funny, diarrhea. Okay, but it's bad because they got to keep the fluid, if keep fluids in them. So this, this guy is probably kind of on his deathbed, on the way to death. So this is what he's got. He's got fever and dysentery. It says he was suffering from the fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him. And after pr- prayer, remember that, after prayer, Paul didn't just go in and lay his hands on him. He prayed first. Why? Because Paul knew where the power was coming from to heal. He knew it wasn't coming from him. He was just God's tool. He was just God's messenger. And as we live in the upside down kingdom, this is what this whole series has been called, living in the upside down kingdom. That's what we got to remember. Where does our power come from? Our power comes from God. So we start with prayer to say, Lord, give us the power that we need to honor and glorify you. So it says after prayer, he placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Who else does this sound like to you? Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? You know why we're called little Christians? Or why we're called Christians? Because we're a little Christ. We're like Christ. We're supposed to be like Christ in how we live. And Paul's like, God, I'm open to you. I'm open to you doing something for me. What do you want to do? I mean, Paul goes through some of the craziest up and downs. He's going to Rome. He's shipwrecked. A snake bites him. It doesn't kill him. He's healing tons of people. So it says, when this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. And then verse 10, they honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies that we needed. Now, from what we know, none of these people came to know the gospel. Luke's been really clear about letting us know when, when people believed in Jesus for the first time. And on the island of Malta, they didn't seem to do it. But what I can tell you is that God uses all people for his glory and for his people. So the crazy thing is, they, Paul gets in a shipwreck. He heals them. They send them off with even more supplies than they had before. I think that's super cool. God's way of doing things. God, again, that divine plan. As you're walking along the path, living life out, seeking to see God in all the moments that he's doing, God's providing all these things for you along the way. So uh, Paul ends up healing all the people. And although we see through much of the books of Acts is that the persecution and the harm that happens, we have to not forget that the Lord is, provides good gifts for us throughout the way, just like he did for Paul. And here, here's the thing I want to help you understand is, in this world, we are meant to bring both physical hope and spiritual hope to the world. That's what Paul did. You know, Paul could have shared the gospel with them, and none of them believed. But Paul, and maybe that's what happened. But Paul's like, we're still meant to be here on this earth to bring hope and healing. And Paul's like, I'm going to meet the physical need with the hope that it opens up to the spiritual need. And you know, sometimes God opens up an opportunity for you to meet a spiritual need. Share the gospel for the first time. Love somebody, care for somebody. Sometimes God opens up for you to care for a physical need. And that opens up, and opens up the spiritual need. You know, if, you look, if we look throughout history, many of hospitals, orphanage, things that have been open like that were started by Christians because they were like, we know that we're in this world to bring hope and healing. That's what we see from the life of Paul. And then the last thing from this first part of the chapter with Paul's life, uh, his stop in Malta, I want you just to take this away, is that through Paul's ups and downs, we see that God, and this has been a theme throughout the book of Acts, we see that God has been working in all the little moments throughout his life. 
God's working in all the little moments. I just think we need to be reminded of that because this is what I think can happen. There's two things we do. Some of us are like, we look so to the future all the time. Who's a person, if you're just willing to be honest, who's someone that just says, you're always kind of looking to the future? Who, who's willing to raise their hand? Okay, some of you are like that. You're, you're, you're always looking to the future. You're like, what's the next thing going down the way? Who, what if some of you are just like, you are so get caught up in the moment sometimes. Who's a, who's a caught up in the moment person? You might not look into the future as much, caught up in them. Yeah. And I think sometimes those are the two extremes we go to. Some of us are like, I got hard things going on in my life. I just want to look to the future when it's over. When's it going to be over? How do I get past it? And we miss that God's in that hard moment working right there. Paul didn't miss that. I think Paul saw, okay, God, you're working in this hard moment right here. And honestly, I think you'd be silly if you were just like, I like hard moments. I don't like hard moments. But I do think it is a reality to go, God is working in those hard moments. And for some of you that are in that place of you're just like, you're, you're, you're circumstantial. You're like, you're, you're what's happening right here in this moment, whether good or bad, you're so wrapped up in it that you miss what God's doing in that moment. And so I think we just need to take both extremes and go, God, whether it's the future, I'll trust you with that. Lord, whether my circumstances right now are really difficult, Lord, I want to trust you in that moment. And I think that's what we see throughout the life of Paul. He saw God and he planned. And sometimes God took Paul where he thought he would go. God said, okay, you're going to go here. And then he goes there. Sometimes Paul planned, seemed like God was pointing in one direction. And then he goes to the island of Malta and he's like, I didn't think I was going to end up here, but okay. And so the application is, do we plan in life? Yes. But more than any planning, we live and rest daily in God's grace. Not always knowing exactly what will come, but we trust in God's goodness. Whether it's in the future it's coming or it's right now, we trust in that goodness. So here's your first table share. If you can go to that next slide, next, next slide is, what have you learned from Paul's life throughout the book of Acts about how to handle difficult circumstances and trials? Take a couple of minutes to do that. All right. Let's jump back in to uh, verse... 11 here. It says, after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered on the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Now, a couple of just quick things here. Again, we just read this and it's like, oh yeah, three months. Well, that wasn't part of the original plan. The part of the original plan was to sail from, uh, from Jerusalem area over to Rome and just get there. Like they weren't deciding to stay there for three months. And, and just want to remind us again, all these little reminders throughout the book of Acts is one that the timeline that we always want isn't always God's timeline. And I'm like, Lord, I want things on my timing. And God's timing is just different than ours. And he's okay with things taking longer sometimes, right? We're, we're very much, a, we want things right away. And when we literally don't get them in the minute, we're like, why isn't this page on Safari loading right now, Right? Like three months was no big deal to Paul to let it go. So one, just that reminder that God's timing is his timing, not always ours. And then, I, I don't know, I mean, Luke was a very detailed writer. It's like, did he tell us that Castor and Pollux were on this ship for a certain reason? Would the people that he was writing to, would they have known about it? I don't know. One of the things that I think we can infer from it is that I think throughout the book of Acts, you see Luke is is placing Jesus Christ against all the other gods of the world. That seems to be what he's doing, 
right? We see him going to these different towns. There's the, the idol makers that are mad at him. We see him going to other towns and, and he, you know, he's, he's talking about Christ in, in comparison to what the, the Jews believe. They don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so I think Paul is continue, or Luke is continuing to kind of put those together. So then in uh, verses 12 through 13, it says, we put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. So they stopped in this place of Syracuse. From there, we set sail and, ar- and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Butelio. So they're getting in closer to Italy, you can tell, right, by the way, my Italian accent. There, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and the sisters there had heard that we were coming, this is verse 15, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. So a couple of things to, to take away here that I think are really important. Paul most likely encourages and is encouraged by the Christians that he meets. You know, finally, Paul makes it to Rome, but all along the way, we see God using him. And I don't think Paul necessarily liked what happened to him, but I do think that he could look back and see how God was using it. A couple of things to note here. One, it's really cool. It says that the brothers in Christ, the brothers and sisters in Christ came down to meet him. Most likely, where these brothers and sisters came from in Christ, these Christians, is all the way back at Pentecost. You remember when we started this whole thing, we talked about Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came? And it says that because all of these people were in Jerusalem, they were, they were there for the, uh, the feast of Pentecost. Which feast am I thinking of? Totally blanked on it. Um, one, of the, one of the major Jewish feasts. I can't think of it. It'll come back to me in a minute. But they're there for the, for the major Jewish Passover. They're there for Passover. And did someone say it? Sorry. I, you know, I told you guys a while ago, my ears are still messed up from where I, I it really is. I, it's hard to hear. So they're there for Passover. And the Holy Spirit comes and many of the Jews believe in Jesus for the first time. And it says, if you go back in Acts chapter two, that the uh, people from Rome were there. So they go back. They probably plant a church there. So the gospel is continuing to spread. So these believers come and they encourage Paul. Now think about at that moment, how much that probably meant to Paul for those believers to encourage him. I know on the team that just went to Indonesia that it was such an encouragement. The team that went from here, from RBC to the missionaries in Indonesia, it was such an encouragement to them. I know when teams have gone down to Haiti, which many of you have been a part of, it's such an encouragement to Pastor Francois and those in Haiti. I know when, when I, the trip that Mary was talking about, over to Croatia, I've been to a trip to England, it's such an encouragement when other believers come. And I think it was so important for Paul to have these believers to come and meet him. And I cannot stress enough how much we need each other to encourage each other. You know, a lot of times you can come here on a Sunday and you be like, that was good. You can go on a Wednesday to small groups and be like, that was good. Nothing major happened. That's okay. It is the reality of seeing each other, being around each other, talking about what's going on, encouraging each other. That is so key. I just have to believe that this was such an encouragement for, to Paul, for him to realize that these believers came to meet him there. They heard that he was coming and they came to meet him and to encourage him. We need that. We need each other's encouragement. You know, take the time today. If you know someone that needs encouragement, don't miss it. Tell them. Encourage them in their faith. 
Encourage them in their life. It is huge. So it says that they traveled, they traveled far to come seeing. And then it says, at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. He thanked God and was encouraged. So do you do, you do that? Do you take the time to encourage other believers in your life? Do you take time to send a text? Do you take time to say something to someone when you get here? So here's what I want you to do at your table. I want you to, I want you to go around and I want you just to, to share like, what are you thankful for of how other believers have impacted your life? I don't want you to give specific names. I just want you to think through like, take a moment now to give thanks for the Christians in your life. Share how they've impacted your life. And then how does that giving thanks for the fellow Christians give you encouragement in your faith? Does that make sense? So go around and just share a story about how other believers in your life have encouraged you, have given you courage to continue on. No specific names. And then after that, just talk about, hey, how did that encourage us and our faith just to even hear that? Take a couple minutes to do that. Go ahead. Let's finish up the last section of the book of Acts. So verse 16 says that when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Now, that was kind of cool. I wish we could get like a side story of like the centurion that went with Paul throughout this entire journey. So I wonder what he was thinking. He's like, we're going to get shipwrecked. Okay, we get shipwrecked. Okay, we go to this island. All these guys are like providing for this guy, Paul, who was supposed to be a prisoner. And then we get to Rome and all these people come to meet this guy that's supposed to be a prisoner. Like, I just wonder what the centurion's thought was throughout the whole thing. But it says that that Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So he's kind of like on house arrest, but he has a lot of freedom. Then in verse 17, it says, three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. So he gets to Rome, the local Jewish leaders that are in Rome, they come, he gathers them together, and Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors. So he starts out and he says, look, I've done nothing against the Jewish people. And Paul's saying, our ancestors. He's telling them, I'm Jewish. I'm from Jewish background, but I've done nothing against our customs or against our laws. And he says, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. So the Jews were saying, the Jewish leaders were saying, kill Paul. Paul is deserving of the death penalty. And then the different Roman governors that we've seen in the preceding chapters or in the, preceding, the chapters before, we, realize, they, we see that they're like, we can't find any reason to honestly even keep this guy arrested. Like, what has he done? You just don't like what he's saying, but he really hasn't done anything. So he's like, I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. Then in verse 19, the Jews objected. So I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. So the question is, why was Paul compelled to make an appeal to Caesar? Interesting, if you go look back, and I think it was chapter 20, 25 or 26, Paul could have actually probably just gotten away. The Romans could find nothing wrong with him. The one governor even says, I think it was Felix, even says, I can't find anything wrong with this guy. If he wouldn't, have, if he wouldn't appeal to Rome, he could have gotten off. The reason Paul was compelled to do it was because he wanted to be free in the eyes of the Jewish people. He was compelled. He's like, Rome has, Rome has found me not guilty but the, but the Jewish leaders haven't found me, not, found me not guilty. So he's compelled 
to go to Rome. So that's why he's compelled. And then he says, he says this. He says, I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. That's the second half of 19. I think that part's really important. We could easily gloss over it. Paul is saying to them, as I'm here right now, I'm not trying to bring a counter argument against you guys. He's like, I'm not into that. Because Paul was living for the upside down kingdom. So if you're living in this world kingdom, you're like, I want to get retribution on people. I want to get back at people for what they've done to me. And Paul says, I'm coming not to get anything back on you guys. I just want my own freedom to be found. And ultimately, Paul's like, he wants to be able to share the gospel. So he says, for this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with chains. Well, what's the hope of Israel? The hope of Israel is the Messiah. That the Messiah would come, would free them from the bondage. But the Romans, and just a lot of times like us, honestly, we're looking for worldly things to fulfill us to bring us some kind of freedom. And Paul's like, the only thing that's going to bring you guys, the Jewish people, freedom, the only thing that's going to bring us freedom is the hope of Israel, which is Jesus Christ. And so Paul is, he's saying the hope of Israel because he's going back to the Old Testament for them to, for them to be thinking about, oh yeah, the hope of Israel, the Messiah that we've been waiting for, for God to come. So he says, that is why I am in chains, not because he's done anything that's actually against their customs or broken any Roman law. No, he's just sharing about Jesus. And then they, they had this interesting reply. It says, they replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you. Judea, that'd be Jerusalem. And none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. Now, that's kind of interesting. I think they're kind of lying, to be honest. And the reason being is, it says when the Christians that came to meet Paul when he got off the ship, they knew he was coming. You're telling me if just a bunch of Christians knew he was coming that the leaders of the Jewish council didn't know that he was coming? I think they knew. I think they were lying, and I'll tell you why I think they were lying. I think they've heard the stories of Paul. They've heard the miracles that have happened through him. They've heard about the people that are coming to know Jesus, and I think they're kind of like, we haven't really heard anything about you, so that they can sort of go, well, our hands, were, our hands were free. Now we actually want to kind of listen to what you have to say. And so it says in verse 22, but we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. So they make it clear, hey, you're a sect, you're, which kind of means you're like, you're not really good. You're not really part of the mainstream. You're kind of this offshoot. And they're like, we, you know, no, no one really good is talking about you, but we kind of want to hear your views. So I think they were open and they wanted to hear and I think that's one of the things that you'll find if you go and talk to people about spiritual things, just even ask them questions like, what are your spiritual beliefs? I think you'll find that people are a lot more open than you think they are. So then it says in verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. So even more came. They probably told their friends like, hey, Paul's here. Let's come listen to what he has to say. And he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. You know, sometimes that is what we do. We try to persuade people about Jesus. That's what we should do. We should try to tell them about Jesus, how he's changed our lives, how he's real, how he's true, what he's done, the gospel. Paul is willing to persuade them. Verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not 
believe. Verse 25, they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. So Paul's like, okay, some of you believed, or at least on the path to believing, and some of you rejected. And Paul throws down. He goes back to the book of Isaiah. So they would know this chapter. They would know these verses. And it says, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors, whom he said to Isaiah the prophet. Let's stop there. Who's the main character of the book of Acts? The Holy, the Holy Spirit. Paul is crazy. Paul is actually saying, he is very clearly saying here that the Holy Spirit is the one that authored the book of Isaiah when Isaiah wrote these things down. So the people might even then be like, hold on, what are you saying? The Holy Spirit, which Holy Spirit? The one that's kind of of your Jesus guy or the one of ours? And Paul's saying, no, it's the, it's the Jesus one. Go to this people, this is from the book of Isaiah, go to this people and say, you will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will ever be seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Paul just says it really plainly. He says, you've heard it, but you're your ears you don't want to hear, with your eyes you don't really want to see. And he just, he, go, he calls them out. And he says, you become calloused. It's like your heart, your, their heart, their eyes, their ears are so calloused to it because they've rejected it for so many times of knowing the miracles are true, that Jesus was crucified. He says, you have rejected it and become callous. And I pray that that's none of you here, that your hearts haven't become so calloused. And I can tell you that, God is always in the work of redemption. That's one of the coolest parts of my job is when I get to see redemption happen. People that believe for the first time or people that have walked away from God to come back to him because that is a working of God. But it can. You can, you can become so callous that you hear nothing of the Lord anymore. Don't, become, don't come there. But also know that as you go out and you share with people, people's responses to the gospel always be one of the three things. Curious, like, okay, I want to hear more. We see this throughout the book of Acts. Those people that wanted to hear more, there were those that rejected and there were those that believed. That's, and that's true for us. We see that now. Your friends, some of them are curious, want to know more. Some completely reject it and some believe. And that was Paul. And Paul was like, I think for Paul, one of the things we see is his idea of success was different than ours. Because see, our idea of success is perfection oftentimes. But Paul's idea of success was, did I follow God? Did I follow God? And if I followed the Lord and listened to him, that was success. I think it's the same thing in our eyes. And so I want to end with two things. I want to end with one kind of application from these verses. I'm going to fin finish reading here and then kind of uh, follow out the book of Acts. And so verse 28, Paul says, Therefore I want you to know that, God, that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. So Paul says, hey, I'm gonna, we're turning now from this being a gospel for the Jewish people, this turning to the Gentiles. Gentiles are just non-Jewish people. So here's what I think, three things that you have to do with the book of Acts. I think you have three options. If you can throw that up on the screen. Your three options are, one, you believe that Paul is crazy for giving up, because he was a Pharisee. He was the religious leader. He had it all. He had a high status in society. He had money. So either you think Paul's crazy for giving up his social and political status, to be a follower of Jesus and endure the hardship and persecution. So you either think he's crazy 
The second option you have is you hear the stories of Paul's miracles, his commitment to Jesus as the only way to salvation, and you believe in Jesus if you've never done that for the first time. Or the third one is, if you have believed, you are encouraged by the life of Paul and desire to live that same way. I think there's really three things that we have to do with Paul's life, the response that we have from it. All of you fit in one of these three categories. And so I just want to wrap up the book of Acts with this. The book of Acts was a special time in human history. But I believe that God is continuing to work and move. So we get to look at the book of Acts and be encouraged by it and be challenged by it and say, Lord, we want to pray that you would continue to do that same work, to bring that hope and healing into this world. And we each just be like Paul to say, okay, God, where do you want to send us? We'll go there. Where do you call us? We'll go. We'll do it. For most of you, it's just going to be right in your school, right in your neighborhood. For some of you, it's right in your home. So one, the final application from the book of Acts is, who's the main character from the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit the main character in your life? Or are you the main character in your life? The Holy Spirit wants to be the main character in your life. Will you let him lead you? Listen to the Holy Spirit, apply it, and build your life upon what he's telling you to do. The second one is this idea of prescriptive or descriptive. We see the upside-down kingdom lived in the book of Acts. Many of the miracles were used to show that Paul was a true apostle, that he had had that personal encounter with Jesus, and that his miracles were to validate the gospel. Everything that we do as followers should bring glory to God. If he chooses to do miracles through us, big or small, we give the glory to God. And the third one is, Jesus is the revolutionary change agent. The gospel spreads as Paul and others went out and lived by faith. The gospel couldn't help but spread because people are looking for hope. Have you seen that? People are looking for hope. They're hoping that something will fill them the only thing that will fill them as you go, is the gospel, is Jesus. As you go out and just live that out, your day in, day out lives, through hard and good, that will spread. So the application is go and live your faith out in the upside down kingdom. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this book of Acts for us, to read, to see how you're working and how you're continuing to work. And God, I pray that we've been encouraged through this, Lord. I pray that we'll apply it, that we'll listen to your Holy Spirit and just live day in and day out as you call us to and trust you, Lord, that you will use us. I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.